Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. All right. So it is uh, 2017. We're going to be marking the wrong dates for the next month and a half when we're filling out papers and all that sort of stuff. So today starts 2017, uh, and that's going to last until 2018. So just in case you're wondering, that goes the whole year will be in 2017. And uh, we'll keep reminding you about that uh, as the year progresses. It's still 2017. But 2017, for a lot of us, uh, couldn't come soon enough. 2016 uh, was kind of nuts. There's a lot of crazy things that happened in 2016. And there's a lot of us that are that are, we're glad to put behind us. We're moving forward in 2017. And so uh, it's New Year's Day. And if you're anything like me, uh, you probably made some resolutions. In fact, half of the country always makes resolutions. I don't know if you know, almost 50% of everyone living in, in the United States makes a resolution. So I thought it'd be interesting uh, to read the top 10 resolutions uh, that people make and uh, as we go into this new year and talk about that. Because the new year can bring, uh, can bring a lot of new, new excitement, new challenges. And for some of us, though, it's just a reminder that another year has passed and not a lot has changed. And we didn't accomplish what we want to accomplish. We feel uh, like we missed the mark. We feel like maybe we wasted a whole year of our lives. And now here we are staring on the barrel uh, of a new one. And it can seem daunting. And it can seem um, overwhelming that, you know, here we are again. And it depends on if your glass half full or half empty. But you could just say we're expecting another year that we're going to have the same kind of year as we did last year. Or you can say we're expecting a year of great things, of things, uh, possibility and change. So that's what we're going to be leaning into, obviously, uh, as we move into this year. But it can be daunting. It can be scary. It's a time where we reflect and we realize that our bank account is not where we'd like it to be. Our waste is too large. And, uh, and there's a lot of things that we didn't do over the holidays that we feel regret over. We spent too much money. Uh, we spent not enough time. We got in, in fights with relatives. It's just, it wasn't great. And so now we're moving forward to 2017 and we're going to resolve how to do that. So the top 10 uh, New Year's resolutions. Number one, what do you think the number one resolution people make? Exercise. Lose weight. Lose weight. Lose weight. Number one. Number two I thought was really weird. It's get organized. But some people that that may seem really normal. Uh, spend less, save more was number three, and so uh, that kind of goes through the finances. Enjoy life to the fullest. Be healthy. Learn something exciting. Quit smoking. Help others. Fall in love, and spend more time with family. Those are the top ten. So people are saying, "This is the year I'm falling in love." As though they can have anything to do with that. This is the. Year. And people are resolving uh, last night uh, to do those things. I made resolutions. Um, so this this message in particular, I always say that anytime I preach, it's from what the Lord is showing me. 
if you guys want to leave, that's fine. I'm preaching today to myself primarily, and you guys get to listen to my inner uh, conversation with the Lord. I made resolutions. We made a bunch of resolutions, actually. Uh, Sarah and I did, and we we uh, we wrote goals and, and notes and all of that sort of stuff. And then I was doing some research for this, and it turns out that there's a direct correlation between uh, your level of unhappiness with yourself and the amount of resolutions you make. And so, so the more unhappy you are, the more resolutions you make. It's just an interesting thing to think about. You know, some people say, oh, I don't know anything to make a resolution about. I seem to have a lot of things to make resolutions about. So uh, that should tell me something. But uh, if you're anything like me, we do make them. And, and we, want to, uh, we want to keep them. But the problem is, is that um, of half the people that make resolutions, uh, only 8% actually keep any, even one of them for an entire year. Uh, I personally make them quite often, and I don't keep them quite often. I don't know if I've ever gone a full year. Uh, and so then there's some years where I'll just say, I'm not making any resolutions this year, uh, in spite of that. So uh, so if, if that is um, like you, uh, you may say, I'm not making resolutions, but it's only because you don't want to fail again. And, uh, and I've done that too. The problem with these resolutions, the problem with, with making these changes, and I think we all want our, our lives to be different. I think we all want new things in our lives. I don't think that's uncommon uh, for people today, is that the, the deal with the resolutions is you know, be healthy, get fit, um, save money, all of that sort of stuff. The, those are kind of symptoms, I think, uh, of a bigger problem in our lives. And so a lot of times what we'll do is we'll medicate the unhappiness, the problems we have with ourselves with retail therapy or overeating or um, relationship problems. And so a lot of times what we'll do is we'll say, I want to be healthy. I want to lose weight. And the reality is, is that we do want to lose weight, but there's a reason we need to lose weight. And it's not because we accidentally ate all the cupcakes over Christmas. It's because we have been satisfying some, some sort of longing with food. We've been kind of, that's how we celebrate, or that's how we cope, or that's whatever it is with food. And for others, it, has, it actually is exercise, right? That, that can be a coping mechanism. And so all of these things, these resolutions, spend, spend less, save more. There's a reason you're overspending. There's a reason you, you don't have control over your finances. There's a reason your bank account is not what you want it to be. It's because you're probably living outside of some sort of means in order to satisfy other urges. And so I think if we try and we, and we try to work on these resolutions and we try to keep these resolutions, even if we're part of the 8% that actually keeps the resolution, then it's basically like treating a symptom instead of the actual virus. So in other words, if you have the flu and you keep treating the cough, it doesn't matter if the cough settles down, but you, you haven't killed the flu. I don't even know if that is how you kill the flu. But <laughs> And so if you, if you focus on the resolutions, if you focus on the changes you want to make without changing the actual heart inside that's propelling you and driving you uh, to the things that you're trying to change, then I would submit that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you actually keep it. You're just going to change to something else because you haven't fixed the problem inside that's causing the other things to happen. Does that make sense? 
So there's actually um, uh, a pretty interesting section of the New Testament, um, right in the very beginning, right in Matthew, where Jesus, he knows this. Like, he knows this is the problem. And he understands that, that we typically tend to live differently than we want to live. I think all of us can say, man, I really want to be with this person, but I can't seem to, be, to stop being with this person. And no matter what we do to try and change that, we seem to fail over and over. He knew, he knew this, right? And so he starts out, and he has this, uh, this big dissertation. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's this big sermon. He, he's starting his ministry off, and, and he begins the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And he starts off uh, telling about the Beatitudes. And so he takes you through the Beatitudes, and we'll go over those in a minute. And, and then he, he summarizes everything, and really it's a summarization of Old Testament stuff that we learned, you know, back in Exodus and Leviticus. But he's taking that and he's saying, you know, he's putting it in a new context, and he's saying, you know, blessed are these people, and this is what this life looks like. And so he starts out uh, with, with the Beatitudes, a list of blessed people, and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the, are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And so then he takes the next two chapters and he explains what that looks like. What a life like that looks like. So if you want to be a person who's blessed by God, then he goes and explains what that looks like. And so uh, we get to our, our key verse of uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He summarizes this whole thing and he says that, that if you seek first his kingdom of righteousness, then all of these things will be given to you as well. And so he starts at a place of blessed are, the, are you if. Blessed are the person that does this. And then he moves and he says, this is what life is, is like for you if you are these people. And then he summarizes it up in one sentence and he said, this is called seeking first the kingdom of righteousness. If you seek first the kingdom of righteousness... And all of these things that you're worried about, all of these symptoms that you're trying to change, these things about you that you're trying to change, will be given to you as well. And so it's a matter of your heart. It's a matter of what you're seeking. And so he goes through and he, and he, and he begins to pick apart. And he says, first, right, right at the very beginning, right in Matthew chapter 5, he says, don't be angry with others, live in relational harmony. Well, that's pretty good. We have a lot of our issues come from you know, bad relationships, people that we were fighting with, people that we are, are struggling with. And he says, don't be angry with people, right? And so, hey, well, that's great advice. Don't be angry with people. And he's telling you, though, that if you are angry with people, it's going to cause you a lot of heartache. It's going to cause you a lot of concern that you don't have to have. He says, don't be angry with people. It's good advice. And he says, don't lust after a man or woman who's not your spouse. You're not going to understand the amount of trouble it's going to get you into. I promise it's going to get you into a lot of trouble. So don't do it. And he moves on from that. He says, don't even, don't even get a divorce. Try not to do that. Reconcile your relationships. And so then he moves from kind of a relational status. And he says, you should live in such a way. Your life should be so pure, so clear, so trustworthy that your yeses can be yeses and your noes can be noes. You don't have to take oaths. You don't have to do anything because people understand they trust you. That's, that's what your life should look like. And then he says that, that when people wrong you, and they will wrong you, absolutely, then you need to forgive them. And, and he, he says this because we've talked about this before. It's not for them. Forgiveness is not for the person you're forgiving. It's for you. 
How much of our stress and anxiety is, is from unforgiveness of people that we have, uh, that have hurt us in our lives? And people will hurt you over and over again. And the more you hang on to that unforgiveness, the more it begins to eat away inside of you. You become angry, bitter, and all of those sort of things. And so he's just cutting this right off and he says, just forgive. And he says that for us, not for them. We're supposed to forget. And so then he says uh, that you should actually um, love your enemies. Not only should you forgive people that wrong you, you should, you should love them. We're just walking through chapters 5, 6, and 7 right now. And so, so we say, okay, we'll forgive them. That's fine. Forget them. Forget Cut it out. And he says, go one step further and love them. We talked about that. We talked about how if you love them, if you pray blessings and you release blessings and love over someone's life, it actually, there's a spiritual connection where it releases love and blessings over your own life. And he knows this. He talks about it a little bit later on. But he says, don't just forgive. Love your enemies. And uh, then he goes on and he says, you know, you should give freely. Be generous. Live a generous life to those that are in need. And you see this, right? It was in the top ten where, where they want to help other people. There's something that lifts us up when we actually reach out and help someone in need. There's a, there's a connection there. It's because we were created to do that. He's reminding us, as I say, you should do this. Well, that means we have to structure our lives differently if we want to live to help people. If we want to be, be the kind of person that can give to those in need, then, then maybe we need to structure our finances a little bit differently, our timing something like that. And then he goes on and he says, by the way, this is how you should pray. And he takes you through the Lord's Prayer. He says, our Father who art in heaven. And that was a revolutionary idea at the time. And maybe it's passe for you today, but it still is revolutionary that God is a Father. He is your Father. He's not some impersonal force, something in the universe. He's not mean and ogre. He's your Father who loves you. In heaven, you know, your name is holy, you're separate, you're other. And he takes you through the Lord's Prayer. And so then he comes back and he says, uh, he says that, you know, I just want you to know that religion and all of the things that you've put in your life is fruitless. But life in me is, is real life. It's everlasting life. So don't, don't, when you fast, don't let everyone know because that's religion. But fast in the secret place. When you pray, don't pray so everyone knows. Pray in the secret because that's where the life is. It's not on the outside of religion. It's not how much you go to church. It's not what you do up front. It's where your heart is. Amen. And so he talks about that. And so then he says, you know, speaking about your heart, don't, don't be ruled by stuff. Don't let stuff create a prison for you. You know, that's the number two is get organized. All we have so much stuff. And we have storage, off-site storage houses to <laughs> store stuff that we never see. And stuff rules us and we're making payments on TVs, and, and we structured a prison full of our stuff because we love stuff, and stuff makes us feel good because we have it. It's a heart issue. And he says, don't, don't be ruled by your stuff. In fact, in fact, be careful about money, he goes on to say. And he says, money is a tool. In the hands of a, of a skilled craftsman, it can build a great empire but in the hands of someone who doesn't know how to use it, instead of being a good servant, it's a terrible master. And money will chain you to, to, to problems and to heartaches. And you, you can't escape it because money is a, it's an evil master. It's not, it's not evil, but it can be the root of all evils. And so then he goes on and he says, um, he says, don't worry. 
Just don't. I mean, I worry all the time, right? But he says, don't do it. Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. (laughs) But he knows that it's bad. Worry doesn't change anything. It's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. But we do it over and over and over again, and we worry. And how much of our brain space is, is eaten up by worry? And he says, don't do that. And he says, in fact, don't put too much thought or weight even in food. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. There's a problem if you're putting too much thought in that. And some of us just, I mean, growing up, we would talk about the next meal when we're having the meal that we're having now because it all revolved around food. And if you're from the South, then you understand that that's the culture, but it's not quite the culture. It's a little bit longer. It was all about food. And that's where we, that's, that's, we were having a good day, we'd go out to eat. We're having a bad day, we're going out to eat. <laughs> you know, and, and it was taboo to drink at all when I was growing up. Me and we really medicated ourselves with food. That was okay for some reason. But we, we see that where we'll, we'll celebrate with food and then we'll, we'll mourn with food. and We'll just put so much weight in our food and how much money we spend in our food and where we buy the food and what kind of food we have and all that sort of thing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about your clothes. You know, don't worry about having the latest and greatest wardrobe. Don't fix what's on the outside until you fix what's on the inside. Don't don't put lipstick on the pig. Just fix it. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And he says, don't you know you're worried about these things? But look, and he, you know, he, tells, he tells you about the birds, and he tells you about uh, the grass, and all of those sort of things that the Lord does. And so then he goes on and he says, and, you know, don't, don't judge others. Don't don't compare yourself to other people. Don't allow other people to dictate your moods. I mean, basically, if we did everything he just said, we'd live perfect lives, right? And then he went on and lived the perfect life just to show this is what this looks like, right? Everything else in the New Testament in the Gospels about Jesus is him walking out this little sermon. He says, this is how your life should be. Here's what it looks like. And by the way, I'm going to show you what it looks like not to worry about what other people are thinking. Not to worry about money. I'm going to show you. And he did over and over and over again. And he taught the disciples about, you know, they were worried about money. He said, look, just go get a fish. There's some money in there. And he was just, he was showing them in these extravagant ways that God really will take care of you. And it boils down, it comes down to the very fact that we don't trust God to be who he says he is. And we don't trust him to, that we are who he says we are. It's the same thing in the very beginning, right? You see the, the snake tempting Adam and Eve, and they said, you know, did God really say this? He doesn't want you to be like him. But we know that we were already created in his image and in his likeness. But it's this lie that, that we cannot trust God to take care of us. So we have to do it ourselves. And the way we do it is that we medicate things. We become our own gods. And so we were feeling bad. Instead of trusting him, then we'll we'll do something about that. And he knows this. Jesus actually knows this. And so then he goes on and and he says, he says that you, you need to understand 
You need to understand that God will take care of you. That He is a good Father. He is your Father. And if you are looking to Him for your provision, then He will absolutely take care of you. But we don't trust who He says He is. We, we don't trust the God that He is. We believe He's different. A lot of times we believe either that He's distant, that He really won't take care of us, because maybe we've experienced some heartache or some hard times. We believe that maybe he's upset with us, just intrinsically upset with us, and so uh, he may or may not come through on some of his promises because he's a little bit moody. We have all of these ideas about God that we've created in our head, and, and it boils down to everything, all of our problems, the whole reason we can't be like those things that he just listed is because we don't trust him for what we need. And so I thought it would, be, uh, it would be a really good exercise to go over who does God say he is. And so in front of you, under the chair, I've got um, a thing. We're just going to read it. And if you need some, Cody's got some extras, and he's going to pass them around. So if you need another paper, uh, just raise your hand, and Cody's going to bring it to you. So we're going to start with who does God say he is. And I'm going to butcher these names, because it's... But we're going to read through this, and this is obviously yours to keep. Um, so the first it says he's Jehovah Zekeni, the Lord our righteousness. So he is our righteousness. It's Jehovah Makadishim, the Lord who sanctifies. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, he's here. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our victorious banner. Jehovah Ra, the Lord is our shepherd. Jehovah Nigad, the Lord who predicts the future. Jehovah Aha, God is love. Jehovah Elohim, God is worthy of worship. Jehovah Kana, the Lord is jealous. Jehovah Alam, the Lord is everlasting, uncaused, eternal, self-sufficient. Jehovah Kavad, the Lord of glory. Jehovah Sedeq, the Lord of justice. Jehovah Chest, the Lord is merciful. Jehovah Magan, the Lord is a shield. Jehovah Haya, the Lord is all sufficient. Jehovah Kodash, the Lord is holy. And Jehovah Or, the Lord is light. This is who he says he is. And we don't believe that he's the God who heals. We don't believe that he's the God who provides. We don't believe that he's these things that he said over and over and over who is. These are just the names that he's given himself throughout the scripture. And we don't believe him. It hasn't sunk in. And because we don't believe he's the God that provides, we feel we have to provide. Because we don't believe he's the God who heals, we believe that we're going to ourselves. And so we don't trust him. We don't believe in him. Really. Otherwise, we would look like Jesus. And so Jesus just gave us a dissertation that we don't believe who he says he is. And so if we don't believe who he says he is, then you can turn on the other side of the page. Then we don't believe who he says, I am. <laughs> and I am beloved. I'm a child of God. And you are delighted in that. You're forgiven. You're washed clean. You're free. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. You're adopted into God's family. You're co-heirs with Christ. You're righteous. You're new, you're a saint, you're set apart, you're an ambassador of Christ, you're a co-laborer, 
your sweet aroma to the Lord. You're never alone. You're a masterpiece. You're wonderfully made. You're bold. You have guaranteed victory. You have holding a secured future, and you are whole in Christ. It's who you are. And we talk about this a lot, and we're going to keep talking about this until we start to get it. This is who we are. But we don't believe these two things. And so we, we run after other things to, to keep us safe, to, to make us feel like we're in control, all of that sort of thing. But he is. And until we allow him to, to be in control, until we say, hey, okay, I am going to trust in you for provision, we're not necessarily going to see his provision. Until we begin to say, okay, we're going to call you on this. We're going to say, you know what? You're Jehovah. Um, Rapha, you're the healer. All right. <clears throat> Let's see it. You see, he wants to show you who he is. He wants you to know him for what he is and who he is. But we don't allow him to do that because we don't believe him in the first place. We don't stop and ask him who he is in this situation. And so he's just waiting on us to actually say, are you who you say you are? And it sounds like people, when they would ask Jesus, who, who does he say he is? And he would turn it back and he'd say, well, who am I to you? And the question for this year is, do we want a year like last year, or do we want a year like we've never seen before? I want a year like I've never seen before. I want to actually start believing these things. I want to actually start living in such a way that I, I believe in God. Right? And we can say we believe in God, but we don't believe in this God. And this is the one that he says he is. So I would like to believe in the God he says he is. So if it's only as easy as understanding, then we should all be there by now, right? We should all, we all have the book. We can read the book on our own. Uh, you don't have to come here to, to understand the book. You have it in a million different ways in apps. Uh, you know, people will actually read it to you through an app. You don't even have to read it with your eyes. But if it's just as easy as knowing, then we should all be there. But it's not. And Jesus knew this. And that's the beauty of this. And he goes on and he, and he says it um, in Matthew 7, 7. Because here's the deal. He, he knew that it's, it's not as easy as just knowing. It's actually easier than knowing. And so he says, he goes through all of these things about how you're supposed to live. And he throws this gauntlet up of what life is supposed to look like. And, and the answer is, yeah, right, thanks a lot. Good luck. Thanks for telling me not to worry. I appreciate that. I'm going to go back to worrying. Tell me how to fix this. And so he knows that's the questions on, on everyone's heart is, okay, so if that's how we're supposed to live, then how do we do this? And so what he says is, right at the very end of that, you have to read it all together. We chop these things apart and we take a verse out here and a verse out there. But when you read it all together, he summarizes, he finishes up this Sermon on the Mount and, and this gauntlet of what life is supposed to be like. And he says, ask it, it will be given to you. 
Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's just that simple, he says. He already told you the revolutionary idea that he is a Father in heaven. And that what we have to do is just ask him for these things. We have to say, I, I don't trust you. I can't seek you first. I can't seek first your kingdom. Will you help me to do that? Will you allow me the opportunity to seek you first? And when we submit ourselves, when we've stopped trying so hard, and when we actually say, I can't, when we get to the point where I actually say, I can't do this, I can't love you, I can't pray enough, I can't read the Bible enough, I can't be a good person, I can't not worry. I may not be able to, I can stop murdering, but I can't stop being angry at people. I can't stop, I can't do these things. Which is what Jesus did. He broke all of this down and he said, you know, okay, you want to be good? This is what really good looks like. And it's unattainable, it's impossible. Except through him. And so the secret to it is, is that you need to ask him to, to let you do this. You need to say, I cannot stop worrying. I just can't. I need you to help me. I can't get my finances under control. Money has me by the throat. I need help. And that's when he actually gets to come in and be God. Until then, he's just your helpmate. He's just your little tag along that maybe you go on really big issues. <clears throat> and because you've elevated yourself to his level, you're fixing most of it, he's your co-pilot. But he wants to take everything, he wants to take the nitty-gritty, all, all of the angles here and there, and he wants to create in you a new heart that seeks first his kingdom. And so as we're going into the new year, let's make this a new year where we actually make a resolution that we can keep. That we're going to seek first his kingdom. That we're going to begin to, to allow him to be God in our lives. That we're going to admit that we really don't believe in you. Like we need to. It's not a fake it till you make it thing. You have to admit that you, you can't. And if we do that today, and every day, if we, if we say, I want to seek you first, I, I can't. I don't even like it. I bored reading this thing. If we can be honest with him and open with him, then he can come in and he can create in us a new heart. And he can allow us to move forward and to seek his kingdom first. But only if we seek his kingdom first. Will all of these other things happen? And until then, I promise you, you will live a life of regret. You will live a life that is underwhelming. You will live a life of relational brokenness. You will live a life that is not something you want to write home about. There's never been a time 
that you can look back five years ago and not have regret that you should listen to Jesus. He actually knows what he's talking about. And he knows what a life of not worrying looks like. And he knows how freeing it is if you actually do trust God to provide. He knows what a life of relational harmony looks like. He was in perfect harmony with the Father and with the Holy Spirit for eternity. And he gets what it looks like. And he wants us to have that. And so as we go into 2017, let's position our hearts to say, I want to seek you first. There's a story of the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal actually comes home for all of the wrong reasons. And the father doesn't mind. And so if you want to seek his kingdom first to stop worrying, that's okay. He'll deal with the rest of the stuff. But he just wants you to seek him first. Even if it's for the wrong reason. So we're going to stand and we're going to worship. Because he's the God worthy of worship. He's the only thing that is worthy of our worship. That's a big deal. Because we have worship to give. And we give it to things that are way too low. Because we're created in his image and likeness. We bear his image. And we give our worship to things that are so beneath us. He's the only one worthy of worship. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you begin to, to make in us a new heart? Would you begin to help us to seek you first? When we want to seek your kingdom first, it's just really difficult. It's like everything in the whole world is against that idea. But we know that through you, nothing is impossible. So we just ask, would you allow us the opportunity to start over today and seek you first? This year to be a new year, we just declare over our lives that this will be a new year. And we just speak that out prophetically over us that this year will be a year of change, that this year will be a year of growth, that we're going to move forward into the destiny that you have for us, and we're going to look a lot like you this year, and a lot less like the world. And Holy Spirit, we say again that we need you. We need you to help. For all upcoming events and more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.